This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome everybody, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. So today we're going to be speaking about Shavuot. The question that comes up when you think about Shavuot is, what mitzvah do we do on Shavuot? If you think about it, every single Jewish holiday, there is a specific mitzvah that we do for that holiday. Let's start with Pesach, for example. Pesach, we do... Matzah, very good. We do matzah. Okay, one Jewish person in the class. Um, all right, Sukkot. We do lulav. Lulav, there we go. Lulav, Sukkot. We do a bunch of stuff. We hit leaves on the floor. We do a bunch of fun stuff. Um, the Rosh Hashanah, a little harder. Shofar. Shofar, very good. Still one Jewish person. Okay, so um, we do Shofar. Even if you go to the other, like let's say for example Purim, we have the Megillah, we have Meshlach Manot, we have Hanukkah, we have the candles. Now when I ask you, what do we do on Shavuot? Don't say cheesecake. Oh. Is that what you're going to say? We do Torah? We do Torah all there. We do Torah. Yeah, one holiday we do Judaism. Um, when you think about it, every holiday has a holiday specified mitzvah. Shavuot has nothing. And why not? It's like, this should be the most, you know, we should be doing like tons of stuff on Shavuot. Because if you think about it, this is where we got the Torah. This is where we got everything that came after it. So how come we don't do anything? What we do is we do minagim. So we have, uh, you know, we decorate our houses or the shuls. We eat, you know, milk, we eat dairy. But why is it that we don't, those are all minagim. Why is it that we don't do something specific for Shavuot? And then some people say, well, we stay up for, at least in the men, stay up all night and they learn Torah. That's not a Shavuot specific. First of all, it's not a minhag. It's not a, it's not a commandment. It's a minhag. Secondly, it's, uh, you know, it's not something like, well, we learn on Shavuot. A man has an obligation to learn every free second that he has. It's not something new that's on Shavuot. Be like, okay, once a year, I'm going to learn, you know, whatever. You know, I'll do it like, it's something that you have an obligation to do every time. So what is it that we do on Shavuot? What makes Shavuot stick out different? And, and it's, it's like, it sort of seems like it's just sort of like a Shabbat holiday, but on Shavuot with, with mixing in with dairy. So, the, when we went to get the Torah, God goes over to the Jew, God goes over, we'll speak about it, maybe we have time later, God goes over to all the nations, you want it, no, 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 he goes to the Jewish people, you want it, yes, and then he's like, basically puts a gun to our head, but it wasn't a gun, it was a mountain, he took a mountain, put it on top of us, and be like, are you going to take it, if not, this is going to be your burial place, like, we, we just said that we will, what's with the... What's with the putting in the mouth? It's like someone goes and, and uh, you know, is, it comes over to somebody else, not in this room, and says, hey, uh, give me all your money. <clears throat> this is what we know in Brooklyn as a mugging. And he goes and, and you say, okay, fine. Here, you take out the wallet because you want to live. And you give, uh, you know, the guy the money. And then he takes out a gun and says, if you don't give me all your money, I'm going to shoot you. I'm like, I, I, you have my wallet. I just gave you everything that I have. So what is God doing? If, God, if we already said already that we're going to accept it, then why is God then putting a mountain over us and says, oh, if you don't take it, this is going to be your burial spot. So the, 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 the Chachamim, the Chazal tell us that on Shavuot is, so to speak, our wedding with God. That, you know, when you get married, you have a chuppah. You're supposed to have a chuppah. You know what was our chuppah? The mountain that God put over our head was the chuppah between us, between us and God. So what does that mean? You know, getting married to God. How do, how do we understand? Uh, you know, how do we understand this? So, the the one of the fundamental, one of the cornerstones of Judaism is to love God. In fact, when we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, right after that we say Hashem that you have to love God. Loving God is a very very fundamental aspect of of Judaism. And many people say, yeah, I love God. You know, like you don't love God. You don't even listen to God. How you love somebody, you don't listen to it. Uh, me and God are we're tight. 
and you're crossing hands because that's a you know Christian thing. But he says, you know, me and God, we were. So, yeah, I love God. Yeah, me and God were. He's my homie. You know, like what? What is it that love defines? And in fact, if you look at what it says in the in the after Kiyachma, what we say in the Basuk and Devarim, we say You have to love God. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your means. You know, how romantic is that? Imagine you have to write vows to somebody. We don't do that because we have to vow love somebody unconditionally all the time with the person that we're married, obviously. But imagine you have, you're writing a vow, right? And you, you know, and, and you say, I will love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my means. You know, what? That's, that's the most beautiful thing anybody has ever said to me. You know, and like it's it's something you know, like that that's beautiful. But what does that mean? How do we supposed to? What does that mean to love God with your whole body, your whole soul, and with all your means? So the Rambam in Hilchot Chuba goes and you know, and and in the tenth bell, he goes and explains how how are you supposed to fulfill this mitzvah of loving God? It says when somebody goes um, and is infatuated, let's say someone you know you're dating a guy or a guy is dating a girl, and they're infatuated for them, they're about they're going to get married to them, and what are you doing all day? Hey, what's up? You know, smiley face, you know, winky face, emoji, I don't know what other stuff is going on here. Non-stop, what is on your mind? You know, hey, what you doing? I haven't spoken to you in 55 seconds. You know, like, non-stop is going to be on the other, on the other person. Non-stop, you're always obsessed with what the other person is doing. And wait till you get married, unfortunately, it's like, oh, so leave me alone already. Before you get married, it's non-stop. After you get married, it's like, give me some space, I need some space with my guys. Um, so the, which is a problem, by the way. It shouldn't be like that. It should just keep on getting stronger and stronger. Obviously, the fatuation goes away, but that should be replaced with uh, with love. This is the the way that we have a the way that we have a true and a real relationship with somebody else, with the spouse. That is the way that we're supposed to have a relationship to God. And this is what the, how the Rambam explains. Rambam explains based off Shir Asherim. In Shir Asherim, it says. I am, am lovesick over you. I'm so lovesick. What happens when you're lovesick over somebody? He's constantly on your mind. Imagine if you have this relationship with God. Then no matter whatever you do during the day, I'll be like, you're always thinking about God. You're always doing something. You're always, your mind is always God. That is a fundamental aspect of Judaism. That is that your, God is always on your mind. You're always, and that is what the vekut means. The vekut means attachment to God. That means that you're always thinking, what is it that I need to do for God? Like, I, I'm so much in love with God. I just want to make God happy. I just want I want to do everything that I can, that, that I need to. So, we can understand this a little bit by looking how the, uh, you know, when, when we call Pesach, we call it Pesach. When the Torah calls it Pesach, it doesn't call it Pesach, it calls it Chag So the question is, why is it when the people, you know, go, and even to this day, you know, you don't ask somebody, hey, where are you going for Chag uh, They're like, what are you talking about? You know, like... You know, I'm barely Jewish. What, do you, what is Chag Matzot? You know, like, uh, you say, where are you going for Passover? Where are you going for Passover? You don't say where you going. But yet the Torah says, we're, you know, it doesn't say where are you going, but it, it deals with what? What deals with, calls it Chag HaMatzot. The Jewish people call it Chag HaPesach. Why is it that we're using two different languages? So, when we, when we're calling it Chag HaPesach, what are we saying? What, what was Pesach? Pesach was that God, you know, literally passed over all our houses and didn't kill us and killed only the firstborn Egyptians. What we're saying is like, look what God did for us. He passed over us, He saved us, and He took only care of, of, our, of our enemies and didn't take care of us. What is Chag HaMatzot? Chag HaMatzot is God calling the Jewish people, look what they did for me. What did the Jewish people do? The Jewish people went and it was time for them to leave. But they didn't have any food. Have you ever seen a real Jewish mother send out a child without any food on a, on, on a trip to, you know, King's Highway, which is a block and a half away? You no, know, it's like, you take a snack, take this, and, you know, take, you know, you're going with bags of groceries, you know, just in case you get hungry. Um, 
which is probably why we have a lot of cardiologists also. So in any case, the, you, you have all, you have, you know, we prepare. Well, yeah, it's food. Who knows if you can have kosher food on King's Highway nowadays, you know? Midday, you know, Tuesday, you never know what's going to be open. Maybe, you know, it's going to be closed. So you go and you, you prepare. Imagine what it was when God goes and tells the Jewish people, hey, it's time to kish. Let's go. We're going out. And all we have is matzot. And we're like, cool, let's go. Let's do it. You know, so spontaneous, yeah, right? And so we go and we leave. And, and God goes over. You know what God calls it? God calls it Chag HaMatzot. Look what the Jewish people did for me. I, you know, they didn't have anything. They went based off only on faith, on the munah and the bitachon that they had in God that God is going to provide. They didn't care about anything else. We have the Matzot. Let's go. We're, we're going. We don't care about anything else. So, what is a true relationship? A true relationship isn't is, you know what I bring to the table? You know what I bring to the table? It's no, it's the opposite. It says, look what you bring into the table. Look what you're doing. God is calling it, what is the holiday? Chag HaMatzot. Chag HaMatzot, look what you did. And the Jewish people say, no, 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 Chag HaMatzot, look what you did. That is a true relationship. That is a relationship of a, of a, of a, of a true, uh, I guess we could call it a marital relationship. The, um, the idea is brought out further when, when uh, God goes over to us and says, hey, do you want to accept my Torah? And we say, Na'asevenishma. What is Na'asevenishma? We will do, and then we will listen. When was the last time someone called you up and be like, hey, I need a favor? Like, no, I need a huge favor. I need like a, like a huge favor. What are you going to say? You're going to be like, first of all, you're going to be like, what do you need? You know, I, I mean, this could be, you could have blood oaths with this friend. I mean, like, if they're calling you for like a huge favor, the first thing they ask is like, well, it depends, you know. Do you need to drive you somewhere or do you need a body part like a kidney? You know, like, you know, we're going to draw the line somewhere over here. So imagine the relationship that you have to have with somebody that someone calls you up and be like a huge favor. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like over the top huge, huge, huge favor. No problem. Whatever it is that you want, I got you. How big, how strong does that relationship need to be? That w- God comes over to us and be like, you know, I have something, you know, I have a Torah that I have to, you know, I'll give you. We're like, we'll do it. Well, we'll take it. We don't even need to know what's inside. And Na'aseh. First we will do Vinishma, then we'll listen. We're going to do it. Regardless of whatever it is inside of there, we're doing it. You know how strong that relationship is? Now we have to figure out, we have to understand, how do we achieve this strong relationship in Judaism? How do we achieve this relationship that no matter whatever God says, be like, we got it, we're doing it. No problem. So for this, I have to, you know, bring to you uh, Rabbi Shimshon Pincus, a beautiful, beautiful ideas that he brings down on the Torah. It says in Mishle, in chapter 6, verse 23, it says, The mitzvot is like a candle, the Torah is like a light. Now, if I would ask you, I don't know how to phrase this the right way, what would produce more light? With two phraseology that I will give you. One is candle, and one is light. Which one do you think would produce more light? Would be stronger? Nobody? Light, obviously. No? Light is the what? Alright, whatever. Okay, uh, I, it was obvious for me. Uh, well, true, but it's the same thing. But it depends what it is. Depend. Light is a, is a, you know can be is something that is is light. It's it's just it lights it up. Candle produces light, but what does it produce? What type of light does it produce? So if you're in a pitch black room, you light a candle, lights up the whole room. It's unbelievable. If you're in a pitch pitch black room, you light a small match, the whole room you know the a little bit of light dispels a lot of darkness. But if you have light of, a, of the essence of light, then there's no darkness even. The whole thing is, is light. The mitzvot, in this dark world, it produces light. It lights up everything. But Torah, the Torah, which is light itself, is no comparison to what it could actually produce in this, in this world. And the, the Chazal tell us something very, very scary. That the, 
that Rav Shem Shem Pinkus brings down. He says that somebody who is an Amma Aretz, somebody who doesn't know anything about like the Torah, doesn't really know, know what's going on, he does not merit Tchiyat HaMetim. He does not merit resurrection of the dead. And they bring this off, he brings it off a Chazal in, uh, in the Gemara in Ketubot, page 111b. It says, whoever uses the light of Torah, the light of Torah, Torah brings him back to life. And whoever does not use the light of Torah, the Torah does not bring him back to life. A very, very scary thing. Like, you want resurrection? A fundamental resurrection is you have to learn Torah. You have to learn Torah. That's what you need for resurrection. The question that the Gemara asks, the Gemara Bachot asks, well, then what about women? Women do not have an obligation to learn Torah like a man does. And I had to emphasize it like a man does. So a man has an obligation to learn Torah all the time. A woman does not have the obligation to learn Torah all the time. A woman obviously has to learn Torah. You have to learn the laws and obligations that you need to do. I was giving a class recently. Um... And, uh, oh, I was giving class this past Tuesday. And one of the, um, and we were speaking about, there's a certain place that I speak on Tuesday that the, 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 you know, I don't know, 95% of the people don't keep Shabbat. So, what am I gonna speak about every time I, every time I speak there? I'm gonna speak about Shabbat. Every single time. That's what all I speak about. Not like, it's, it's like, I'm like, it's like, and they're like, why are you always speaking about this? I'm like, imagine someone comes to a doctor. And the doctor, uh, you know, with uh, with a very very severe headache, like a very very severe headache. But he's missing a foot, and he's gushing out blood. It's like spurting out with the veins and everything. And he's like, you know, doc, you know, I feel very lightheaded. I don't know what's going on over here. My head is hurting me. He's like, can you help me with the headache? The doctor's gonna be like, forget the headache. Let me let me tourniquet this thing over here before you you know die out of, of your bleeding. So. You go, you invite me in a place to speak, and no one here is going to speak, you know, no one here keeps Shabbat. If I'm going to start telling you stories about, you know, Sadiqim, that's great, that's going to be great, but what's going to do with the, with the, with the, the blood that's spilling out that you're not keeping Shabbat? So nonstop, I usually speak about the Shabbat. So one, so this past week, a guy comes up and says, but the laws are so difficult on Shabbat. How am I supposed to know it? How am I supposed to know everything? I'm like, okay, granted, the first Shabbat that you keep, you probably don't know, you know, enough to do it. You know, you know enough to be like, I probably can't do this, you know, I probably can't do this, I probably can't do this. As you learn, you'll be able to, to gain it. But if you think about it, people think like, Shabbat is crazy, there's so many laws, and there is so many laws, but there's so many books in English right now, one book, a two-volume book, three-volume books, even a four-volume book, but whatever, it's a, it's a few books that you'll be able to read, and you'll know the basics of Shabbat, not even the basics, you'll probably know an, an advanced level of Shabbat. So as an excuse, he was going to, you know, he was telling me, like, how do we know if we never, like, we'll never keep Shabbat right? I'd be like, why not? Why will you never keep Shabbat right? Why can't you never keep Shabbat right? I'd be like, there's so many laws. So learn it. You know, it's just like open a book and read it. It's in English. It's easy. You can even have, they even have like a kitsur shulchan of, a kitsur halachot of Shabbat. One book, all of the halachot of Shabbat. What's your excuse? A person always has to be learning to, uh, learning, uh, learning Torah. That is a man. A woman also has the obligation to learn Torah. But what is the obligation? The obligation is not like a man, meaning that she has to learn Torah, whatever. She needs to know the laws. You know, you need laws, need to the laws of basal v'chalat. How do you know what, you know, when you're cooking? What it is that you're allowed to do? What is it that you're not allowed to? What is it that you're allowed to mix? What you're not allowed to mix? What the pots and the ovens and this and that. Everything you need to know. Shabbat you need to know. You need to know the basic, you know, the fundamentals of, of, of Judaism. So, but the question is that the bottom line is, if the way that you get triyat metim is through resurrection of the dead, if the way that you get resurrection of the dead is through learning Torah, how does a woman, the Gemara on Bachot, page 17, says, asks how does a woman get the, gain the merit? And the Gemara answers, by sending her children and her husband to learn Torah. When they send their children and their husband to learn Torah, they get the merit. This, you, I don't think you understand how awesome of a deal that you guys have. It's like, all the work, you know, you get all the reward, know the work. All you gotta do is just like, kick your husband out and be like, go learn Torah. You know, a husband's gonna eventually listen to his wife. You know, you guys know that you control. We're in America, alright? 
I don't. I know you guys are Sephardi and Russian, and it's always the man who says anything. And if you don't listen, but we're in America now, right? In America, the women are the ones who are doing the. All right. So you should know that when you get when you get married, that you're going to be going and you're going to be telling you know telling your husband why you're not learning to walk. Go learn to walk because when he learns to walk, you get reward for it. It's it. Come on, no, no. Let's talk. You see this Snapchat picture? You see this Instagram picture? You see, only 500 likes. And I thought I had friends. You know? You know, you, you go and you waste time with your husband. Instead, granted, you have to spend time with your husband. You do. You have to go. You have to bond together. But you should make, make sure that the husband goes and the husband learns to walk. Because you get a reward for that. And the children also. You have to make the children go and get reward. You're, you're going to go and learn to walk because you're the one who's going to get reward for it. How do the woman marry Tzachat By sending their husbands and their children to go learn to walk. But it's something very interesting that I don't think a lot of people actually speak upon this. It says, and they wait for their husbands to come back. And the wait for the husband to come back. It doesn't mean if your husband is a big tummy chacham, he learns at four in the morning that you're going to be, you know, staying up in the, you know, on the counter, like, you know, like, you know, like every every thirty seconds, we're like, oh, you're home finally. Okay, I'm so tired. I'm going to go to sleep. It means that you. What, what does it mean that you wait for your husband to come back? He, husband comes back to learn to I'll Be like, so what? What did you learn? To, you know, what did you learn today? Like, tell me. Like, show interest, and in you're like, you're waiting for him. You're anticipating, you know, him to come back. There's a lot of different answers, and we could actually spend a whole class just in the, explaining what does that mean, waiting for your husband to, uh, to you know, to come back, but. The idea is, is that when you send your husband to learn Torah, you get the reward for him, and that's the way that you're gonna get, uh, you know, uh, Says Rab Shimshim Pinkins, he goes on and he continues, and he says that, why is it, whenever we speak about Torah, we speak about the love of Torah. And he goes and he gives an example by saying, Ahavaraba. Right before we say Kriyachma, we say Ahavaraba. Ahavaraba or Ahavat Olam. We say, uh, uh, you know, we, we ask for an understanding for, of Torah, and the way that we ask it is through love. And we say, no, God, you know, uh, you know, through love, give us the Torah. And not only through love, there's also another aspect we say, we also say it through mercy. Avinu Right, in that one sentence, I said three different types of mercy. Avarachaman, father, a merciful father. Hamarachem, who is merciful. Rachem aleinu, be merciful on us. And, and then we go, well, first of all, why three? Three is a chazaka. Uh, but we, we go and we nonstop, we're, we're begging and we're asking through love to give us the understanding of Torah. What is this, this understanding of the, you know, techaneinu? We, we give all these different, different, uh, you know, um, you know, words that we ask for, for Torah, which is a very interesting, you know, idea of it. Why is it that it has to be like a, a sort of a gift? And really it is. It, to understand Torah is a gift. We know in Bachot, page 32b, that Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, when, when, if you would ask, like the, the, like, you know, they had a, they had a thing in one of these, um, uh, I don't know, Torah Connections, Times, whatever, one of these magazines, I don't know what it's called, Torah something. And, um, you know, where there's like 7,000, uh, you know, ads, and then there's like one developed Torah, you know, like Torah, you know. Um, so, they go and, and, and they ask a bunch of people who you would invite to your sukkah. If you could invite anybody in history, who you would invite for your, by the way, it's a great, it's a great uh, thing because it made me think like, who would I invite? If you could pick anybody in history, I really hope it would be Jewish, but as, if you could invite anybody, oh, Muhammad Ali, you know, you know, like if you would invite, if you could, a question if you could invite him to the sukkah, right? Uh, if you could invite somebody to the sukkah, who would you invite? So you had different people say different things. You, you know, the, the greatest answer that I, that I've seen, that was, I forgot by which rabbi, but the rabbi said, because people were like, 
Moshe Rabbeinu, or like, you know, Aaron and David, you know, like, like answers like, which is like awesome, you know, Avram Yitzhak and Yaakov, you know, like, yeah, alright, you know, Adam, Noach, and I don't know, you know, like, crazy things, which were, probably, which would I would pick. But then I saw an answer that blew my mind. It was a big rabbi, I forgot who it was, and he says, um, three poor people who can't have a, a meal for Sukkot. And I'm like, you know, that was like, you know, like, I'm like, that's why he's the top. <laughs> you know, that's why he's called a big rabbi, you know, because this is the way that he, that he thinks. But imagine you're able to invite somebody. Imagine you're able to invite Moshe Rabbeinu. Can you get any higher Moshe Rabbeinu in the Torah? Can you get anybody any higher? Yet, yet says the Gemara in to be that says what? That says that Moshe was, God was teaching Moshe Torah. Now, if you could find the best teacher, it would probably be God, right? I mean, not probably, obviously. God was teaching Moshe Torah. But yet Moshe didn't remember it. It's just like, you know, he forgot it. Until God gave it to him as a present. Now the question is, why did God give it to him? Why does it need to be a present? This, this, it's like a gift, this Torah, to understand this Torah as a gift. What is this whole gift, this whole begging for love, this whole merciful, how do we understand this in the, in the Torah? The, there's a Midrash in Shemot Rabbah that says that there is no other merchandise. When you buy a, you buy a car, right? You go to a you know, car salesman, and uh, say you don't lose your pants, right, with him scheming you, and you go and, and you buy a used car, a new car, whatever it is, you buy a car, and after you make the purchase, you'll be like, you know, do you expect the car salesman to be now your personal chauffeur? Be like, okay, I bought the car, uh, car are you now going to come and drive me around? Be like, no, right, here's the keys, enjoy, you know, you know, drive, drive around. It's just everything is up. It's, that's the, it's like up, everything is up. Okay, so the... You're, you're, you know, you don't expect when you buy something that you would get the owner or the salesman to come along with the product. No, nothing like get that. You know, you buy an iPhone, you don't expect a Chinese kid to come with you. I'm just kidding. I know. Uh, slave, slave labor, I don't know. You buy a pair of Nike, okay. Uh, let's do non-size Chinese thing. You buy something, you don't expect the manufacturer, you don't expect the person that, bo- that owns it to, you know, you didn't, you didn't buy him, you didn't buy the, the owner, you didn't buy the, the, you know, the producer, you bought just the product. Yet, the Torah is very different. The Torah, God says, says that I sold my Torah to you, and so to speak, I was sold along with it. That God gave himself along with the Torah. To, to understand this, this level of, of, you know what that means? That, that God gave himself with the Torah, and we'll, we'll explain what that, you know, what that means in, 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 a, in a minute, but to understand the level of what the Torah is worth now, that you have the creator itself gave as a part of himself in the Torah. The, and not only did he give, it's not like he gave it to us and be like, okay, this is an instruction manual, go figure it out, go learn it, go discuss it. No, in Devarim, in chapter 39, verse 12, Shamayimi, the Torah is not in heaven. We have ownership of the Torah. We have the ownership to interpret the Torah and to understand the Torah and to figure out the Torah and to learn by the Torah. But that, that's not only that God gave himself part of the Torah, gave it to us, but also gave us the ownership of the, of the Torah. And to, we, to, to the extent that we don't understand this, you know that the reward that people get for learning Torah, nobody knows. It's so high, even, even the angels don't know about it. It says, we says in Ishayahu in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 3, Ayin lorata. No eye has ever seen what this means. You cannot comprehend the reward that you get for something like this. And understandably so, your God is connected to this. You're learning to it. You're connecting with it, with God to this. To, to explain this even a little bit, uh, a little more, Rabbi Shepherd goes and gives a great example. 
You're walking down and you take out this, you know, nice pen. Let's use a watch. I don't know how expensive pens are. Right? So you have, you have these, you could buy a watch for $100,000, right? You have, but you buy a nice, you buy a nice expensive watch, um, or someone buys it for you, whatever it is. You have a, you have a watch. When somebody sees you walking down the street with a, let's say they know watches, they'd be like, oh, you know, jewelry. Should we speak? A, 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 I don't know. What's, what's easier? What the, you know, I don't know what girls. Watch is good? Okay, watch is good. Okay, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. So, okay. <laughs> okay. So, you're walking down with a nice, beautiful watch, and somebody comes up to you and be like, wow, that's a beautiful watch. What, what is one of the questions they ask? Where did you buy it? Like, where did you get it? That's one of the questions that, they, that they'll ask you. Any product that you would, you would have would be like, oh, that's really cool. Where did you buy it? If you're a Jew, then you'd probably ask, how much did you pay for it? And if it's a Jew responding, you'd be like, well, obviously I paid under retail value because I'm a Jew. So, um, and I know people, I have connections. So, the... That, you know, but, but the, the idea of it is, is imagine you're walking around with a flawless 25 pound diamond. Uh, again, right? So it's heavy, right? You're walking around, there's like flaw, well, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's revamp the story about it. You come to, so you, somebody comes to your house and you have on display a 25 pound flawless diamond, like, you know, like, carrots, you know, and there's, it's like beautiful, flawless, you know, like, you know, the highest quality, the highest clarity, everything's amazing. This diamond is is priceless, and nobody's going to ask you. So where did you buy that? Was it sale sales? You know, I don't know whatever. The, you know, did you buy? You know, which you know Macy's have? Like, you don't ask for for a priceless item. You don't ask where did you get it. You ask who gave it to you, because a priceless item you don't you don't buy. You get. So the question is changes a little bit. It changes is not who where did you buy, but rather who gave it to you. When we have the Torah. The Torah is priceless. It's not where did you get it and be like, well, you know, I worked really hard and you know, and I, you know, I got the Torah. No, it's who gave it to you. Where did you get that? Now, if you're dealing with a priceless item, there is no amount of work that you could do. There's no amount of merit, better yet, that you could do to say like, yeah, I deserve it. Look at Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have enough merits. The, you know, the top of the top of the top. And yet God had to give it to him as a gift. The Nefesh Chaim says also that the difference between the Torah and all the other mitzvot is the Torah is the expression of God Himself. Can you get something more priceless than that? You have people that, you know, do a painting and then they commit suicide and the painting is worth, you know, instantly 10,000 times more. What do you do when you have, the, you have a painting of the Creator Himself? The painting, not obviously of the Creator, but the, the, painting, that the uh, painting that the Creator did them Himself. I'm digging myself into a hole. The, um, to, you know, and, and this is where love comes in. Love is something that is mutual. Love has to be two-way. Think of it this way. Imagine you have a, you know, a little child that runs and gives his father, jumps up, big, gives his father a big hug and a kiss, and the, the father is so moved by the, this expression of love that he decides he's going to buy this, uh, you know, the, you know, the child a present. And he buys him a nice, beautiful present. Now, is the present a payment for the kiss and the hug that he gave him? No. It's like you, you, uh, you know, brought out some love, some emotions that because of that, the father bought the, the, you know, the present. The, the love goes in both directions. Love has to go in both directions. In order for us to get God's love, so to speak, and again, that's a very, very difficult statement what I just said, because God loves everybody. But in order for us to arouse, as Rabbi Shem says, in order for us to arouse God's love, the only way we need to do it is to love Him. The, you know, and this is the way we understand it. We know the Torah is like a brit. A covenant. A covenant has to be. There's, there's two. There's two people. You know. There's two people in it. And this is why. And I believe we spoke about it in our in our current series that we're middle on the divinity series. That why is it that God doesn't make it obvious that God just exists? Uh, well, first of all, the answer is it is obvious. 
if you just open your eyes, it's very obvious that God exists. But then, you know, I get asked, but no, like, make it, like, real obvious. Like, the fact that I'm holding a cell phone or the fact that I'm holding this remote, that, it should be like that that I could see that God exists. Why isn't it that it's so obvious like that? And the answer is, is because if it would be so obvious like this, that, that you see me holding this item, that's how you know that for sure there's a God, then you lose, there's a, there's, there's no free will. Like, if you know without a doubt in your mind, which you should anyways, but if you know without any doubt, like, everybody does, knows without a doubt in their mind, then you lose the free will. If there's no free will, there's no purpose. There's no relationship. You can't have a relationship if there's no free will in it. In order for a relationship to work, both parties have to be equally vested, equally wanting, out of their own free will to be part of this relationship. That is why the, the, you know, we're dealing with, the, with this understanding as love. Love is, it should, it should be unconditional, but the giving of love is not, is not, it does not depend on something, you know, on, on, on the other person's love. It's like, once you have that love, the giving is unconditional as well. We know, it says in Daniel, chapter 2, verse 21, you have chachmata lachachimimim. God gives wisdom to the wise. Very, very difficult, uh, you know, pasuk to understand. What does that mean, God gives wisdom to the wise? If anything, God should give wisdom to the... Dumb people, right? Right, right, yeah, no, 100%. Should give people to... God gives wisdom to the wise, that's not fair. Give people, you know, and in fact, there's a Midrash in Kuala Taba, that a Roman noble, a Roman noble woman, asked Rabbi Yossi Bar Chalafta, and, and she asked him, says, what, this pasuk? says, I don't understand this pasuk. What does it mean that God gives wisdom to the wise? It makes no sense. God should give wisdom to someone who's not wise, so they will become wise. That's what it should work. So, Rabbi Yosef Rechalafta goes and asks her, and he says, uh, if you had a, you know, well, you do have a lot of money, someone, two people come over to you asking for a, uh, a loan. One of them is very, very wealthy, the other one is very, very poor. Who are you going to give the money to? She says, you know, obviously the wealthy one. She says, why? The poor man needs more money. She says, well, simple. If the poor man loses my money, I have no way of getting it back. But if the wealthy man loses my money, he has people that he can borrow from that he can pay me back. So Rabbi Yosef says, you know, listen to the words that are coming out of your mouth. It says, if God gives wisdom to the dumb people, to the silly people, to the people that don't know what to do with the wisdom, what are they going to use the wisdom for? Learn how to do, you know, down, down, you know, right, triple X, you know, triangle, whatever. You know, beat games. That's what they use the wisdom. I realize that the girls over here, I'm speaking to the guys, guys, you know, spend non-time, uh, non, you know, too much time on video games. You know, they, 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 what are they going to use the wisdom for? Yeah, I'm going to figure out how to beat this level. You know, like, this is the wisdom that God gave it to? You know, or let's, let's say, if we may, tread on dangerous territory. What if a, if a woman gets a wisdom? She's going to come out and is going to be able to contour the right way. The shadows <laughs> are going to be perfect. And then no one's even, she's going to look 75 pounds, you know, thinner. Yeah, I know stuff. Yeah. So, so, um, see? Proof that I'm married. Okay. So, um, you see, when I see my wife, okay, I can't. She's actually going to be upset when I. You know, the way that you paint your face. And you know what? It, I already said, I'm, trained, I'm treading on dangerous territory. But you know what's interesting? The, um, you know, like, you literally have to be artists for these things. Because, you know, what I, you know, like if one eye is, you know, like a little bit just like, you know, higher or lower, that's it. You're, you're done, you know? It, and, and you have to be, a whatever, I, you know? Whatever. Let's move on from this, uh, you know, let's go into safe waters, safe waters, right? Nah. Okay, uncharted territory. Okay, so now the when we go and and what what God goes and God gives wisdom to the wise. What does it mean? God gives wisdom to the wise. It doesn't mean that they have to be wise, they have to be smart now. But God gives wisdom to the people that will be able to appreciate the wisdom, that will be able to understand the wisdom. People that will be using the wisdom for the good. 
And those are the people that get the wisdom. So how do we get that? When we want to get the Torah, we have to be able to appreciate it. And if we may, if we may, the chidush that if I, if I may sort of extend, maybe we could extend this also to panasah, to money. Like maybe God gives people money, we can say, also to the people that can appreciate money. And I'm not saying appreciate money, be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to go shop in Hermes or Louis Vuitton or Prada. Prada, I... Okay, that's as far as I know, I think. Okay. Huh? You think we have that much money? No, I'm saying, let's say God gives you that money. That doesn't mean appreciating money doesn't mean buying a $25,000 bag. It doesn't mean, what appreciating money is, you're doing right things with the money. And the right things with the money, people are like, yeah, you know, like, I, you know, I send my mother, you know, a dozen roses every single day. That's awesome, amazing, you should keep on doing that. But when I'm saying that you're doing the right thing with the money, I'm saying according to the Torah. And in fact, it's not really a chadush that I'm saying, because really the Torah says this. The Torah says that if you give ma'asel, then you will get rich. Asel, asel. If you give ma'asel, if you give 10% of your income to, to do charity, then you will get wealthy. So it's not really, what does that mean? That means if you're showing God, I know what to do with the money. I know what to do with that. I'm doing the right thing with the money. Then God will say, okay, you get, you know, you're doing the right thing. You, then you deserve more. I know how to appreciate the wisdom. I know how to appreciate this. Then, well, you know what? Then God will give you this. If you know how to appreciate it. This is why Hakarat Tov is so fundamental to Judaism. Judaism, Hakarat Tov is, 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 there's, there's nonstop that we have to figure out and work on ourselves on being grateful. As a Jewish person, you have to be grateful. Because this is really the fundamental of, of uh, you know, of the, of the Torah. The, but what I'm saying, so when you want to understand the Torah, when you want to learn the Torah, that means you have to, you have to, it's a, it's a, it's a love. You have to, you have to love it. You have to take, you have to get, you know, you're dedicated to the learning. You love the learning. You, you know, you care. It, it's, it, there, there's so much more, you know, uh, to it than just like, you know, chemistry 101 or whatever, uh, you know. Bio, am I, is that 101, right? That's okay, fine. Um, uh, is this mine, by the way? This is mine. Okay. This is why also, when people ask me, uh, you know, what is one of the greatest qualities that you should look for in a person with, um, in the spiritual qualities? In my humble opinion, I think it's Dvekut. What's Dvekut? Always connected to God. Always wanting to do the right thing. Because not everybody could be the, right, the you know the biggest tzaddik of the generation, but if somebody has that in them that they always want to do the right thing, then you know that person is going to achieve greatness. They might not be the biggest rabbi, but they're going to be a great person. They're going to be always want to know. I want to do the right thing. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to make my life happy. I, if somebody has the connect that bekut, that connection to God, then that is a great great quality to look for, especially you know uh, when you're dating. The you know. And people, unfortunately, sell themselves, they really, people sell themselves short all the time. I can't do it. I can't be modest. It's too hard. It's too hot. You know how hot it gets? You know, you know what? If you say that you can't, you're right. You can't. If you say that you could, you know what? You could. That is such a great statement. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say it so many times. If you don't think that you can do it, then you're done. You can't do it. If you think that you could do it, then you could do it. And that is why... You have like bodybuilders. I, I'm hoping no one here knows what you know what I'm talking about. But you know, men do not because they bodybuild because they dream. Um, and you know, so when when you have a bodybuilder, you know what is a very common thing that bodybuilders. So they're lifting like seven million pounds, right? Um, and they're about to. You know what they scream? They scream lightweight, lightweight, light. They're like lightweight is nothing. I could do this. Why? Because if you say that you can do something, you can do it. If you say, no, I can't do it, then that's it. You really can't. You can't. If you don't think that you can do it, then who can, who can tell you that you can't do it if you don't think you can do it? 
<coughs> this is what we ask. We ask God, We're asking God through a love. There's only one way to connect it to Allah, and that is, that is uh, through, through love. When we look at the stories of the tzaddikim of the generation, we see that the way that they achieved greatness was through the love that they had it. You have like, for example, the Chazanish was one time found sleeping on the floor. And, you know, you know, a student, a student came in and were like, you know, Rabbi, is everything, why are you on the floor? Be like, you know, yeah, you know, like I was learning and I thought I would have enough energy to get to my bed and I didn't have that enough energy so I ended up just making it only to the floor and I, you know, fell asleep over here. Now, People say that, be like, wow, it's really cool. But have you ever thought about this story? I mean, it seems like a very nice, cool, you know, cute little story to tell you because maybe I bet that he had so much, uh, you know, strength and he couldn't, he was learning to all the time. But do we understand what that means? You could be fasting for like three days, right? You could, you could like not sleep for that. How much strength does it take for you to get up from the floor into the bed? Not that much. But yet the Chazanish was learning so much. Do we understand? These are people, these are righteous people that are learning 22 hours a day. They're learning 23 hours a day, sometimes 24 hours a day. And they're going and they're using every last minute of strength that they have to learn to walk. They're dedicating themselves to it. That's what, how, where does that come from? That comes from the love of the Torah. When you're infatuated with the Torah, when you're so close to it, that's how you achieve greatness into it, you know, in it. If you so much as love God, then no matter if it's a million and a half degrees, I don't care, I'm going to be modest. I don't care, I'm going to be smooth. What does it make a difference if I'm sweating a sauna puddle around me? I don't care, it doesn't make a difference. I love God so much, I'm going to do whatever it is that I can. The, you know, the, um, you know, Chamavaya Yosef, you know, he, you know, he, first of all, the stories that you have about Chamavaya is so unbelievable. But I want to share, before I even tell you some of the stories, that um, the, his son, Chacham David Yosef goes, and he says the name of his father. I'm going to quote. I'm going to quote what he said in the name of his father. He wishes, and he's saying, saying in the name of his father, that everybody would know that his mastery of Torah is not only due to being a prodigy, but also due to his tireless effort and toiling in the Torah. You know why Chacham Yosef became what he became? There are many geniuses. We have many geniuses. But you know what, what breaks it? The tireless, the non-stop toiling, the non-stop learning of Torah. No matter what goes on in that person's life, no matter what's going on in the day, that person is learning Torah. That person is doing what they need to be, what they need to do. And in fact, there is, um, you know, when Chacham Yosef, one time his, his children were sitting over there and they, they saw him that he woke, that he woke up and it's not like, you know, Chacham Yosef barely slept. When he slept, he ran, he woke up he ran to the sink, washed his hands, ran to say Bekata Torah, and then he ran to open up a sefer, and he opened up a sefer. And his, you know, his son came over to him, he's like, you know, you know, I understand that your love for the Torah, I understand how close you are to Torah, but, like, to such an extent, you, you know, you had to run to do it. So he says, you don't understand. He says, last night I was learning the Erevash, you know, a holy work, a holy sefer by a holy rabbi, and I found this, it was some sort of contradiction that I found between one thing that he said to another thing that he said, and it really bothered me. Last night, you know, the Rivash came to me in a dream, and he says, I answered this contradiction in this book, in this page, in this area. So when I woke up, I wanted to check it out. You think I could wait for that? I ran to go wash my hands. I ran to go say Bikata Torah. And then I ran to check it. And guess what? That's where the answer was. You know, I found my answer. This is what, the, you know, Chambalai Chavai said one time was, was, you know, he was in a library. And so one of those nice libraries, you know, you got to climb up the stairs to get to the top shelf. And he climbed up the stairs to open a book, and he was reading the, he was reading a sefel. And he was so engrossed in the sefel that he thought he was on the ground already. So he just continued walking, you know, and then, you know, right, you know, right down, right, right down on the floor. You know how engrossed that you have to be in the learning Torah? And in fact, it was another, I don't know if this was, this was the same story, but one time they found Chacham Abadi Yosef, his, his son found him on the floor. He found him on the floor, wasn't sleeping, he was learning Torah in the sefel on the floor. 
So he sees him, he says, you know, what's going on? Are you, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, you know, I, I was, you know, in the middle of the night, I went to get a sefa, I fell down, and, you know, I was in pain, so I was calling for people, but nobody heard me, so I just grabbed the nail sefa that I could do, and I was, I was sitting and learning so well. It was a different story. Uh, they actually took him to the doctor, he had a broken bone in his back, then he needed surgery. He Going to go to bed, he fell. And that's why he, what, what, sure he was going to sit down. Sure whatever it was, he was in, in enough pain that he needed, let's rephrase that. You know, you have now, you know, I'll use men as an example. If they have a slight headache, I can't learn, you know, it's, it's so hot. You know, it's, you know, and sometimes it is, you know, if it's raining a little bit, I can't come to class, I'm sorry, you know, it's like, you know, it's like that. You have, you know what true greatness is? The rabbi falls on the floor. Is an excruciating pain that he needs surgery. That's not like, oh, you know, I need a Tylenol to get out. That's surgery. He needs surgery to get out, and he's sitting on the floor and he's learning SFL. That is devotion. You only get that through love. You don't get that. You don't see a chemist, you know, falling on the floor and be like, oh, yeah, but yeah, the periodic table. Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's beautiful. You know, it, it's not. It's not what you get that. So, and if you do, then whatever. So, yeah. The, but but it's not only but you know it's not Chamavad Yosef was not only was not only so devoted to um, you know j- just to learn to for the for the regular Jewish people you know also the first heart attack that Chamavad Yosef had he had to, he needed a immediate uh, surgery and uh, when he when they told him that he needs immediate surgery he says I need to postpone it for three hours. And he's like, there's no way, I'm not doing the surgery, I need to postpone it for three hours. He goes, they're like, all right, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> like a rabbi, if some rabbi, tell, the biggest rabbi, rabbi tells you, you need to postpone the surgery for three hours, like, oh, what is the doctor going to say? Mm-hmm. Postpone the surgery three hours, he comes back, finally the son asks him, why do you need to postpone it? He said that, I was writing a letter for Aguna. Aguna is a woman that we don't know where the husband is. He says, I was in the middle of writing a letter that's telling, that's telling her that she's able to get married. He says, I don't know what's going to happen on the operating table if I'm going to make it out of here alive. He says, if I don't make it out of here alive, what's going to be with this woman? What's going to be with this woman? Maybe she's never going to be able to get married again. He says, I have to postpone it three hours. He went back home. He finished writing the letter. He gave her the letter. And then he says, now I'm ready for surgery. That is somebody who's devoted. You think that's something? You know, like he goes, one time he was walking in the street and he was passing by, it was on Shabbat. And he passed by this group of, you know, non-religious, you know, you know, Jewish teenagers playing soccer. And as a joke, they kicked it to the rabbi. But it hit his, his hat and, he, and it knocked off his hat. So the chutzpah, as one of the kids, goes and they say, Hey rabbi, you want to play with us? And it was Shabbat. So the rabbi sees, you know, a young teenage kid, you know, playing on Shabbat. He says, uh, you know, you ate the Shabbat meal yet? Or, you know, Chambav, I used to ask him. So he says, uh, you know, my parents are Holocaust survivors. They're not interested in, uh, you know, Shabbat. So he says, are you hungry? He says, yeah, I'm kind of hungry. He says, why don't you come to my house and I'll give you some, uh, some food. So the guy's like, all right, free meal, you know, why not? You know, let's do it. So he goes, he goes, you know, the Chambavad Yosef takes him to his house, feeds him a Shabbat meal. And then after the meal, he says, uh, Chambavad Yosef says, uh, you, you tired? You look tired. You're very tired? He says, yeah, yeah, I'm a little tired. He says, why don't you take a nap? And he goes and gives him a bed. He says, why don't you take a nap? So he goes, and you'll see. He goes and he takes a nap. After he wakes up, Shabbat is over and he's about to leave. So Chambavad says, where are you going? He says, oh, yeah, I'm going to go hang out with my friends. Uh, possibly go to a movie or something like that. He, so Chambavad Yosef says, uh, do you have uh, money for to go out? And he says, no, no, I do not. So Chambavad Yosef took out his wallet and gave him some money. He says, here, have a good time. He says, but I'm going to give you this on one condition. He says, you have to continue to have a connection. You have to come back again. So the kid says, fine. He says, today the kid is a Rosh Kolel. 
Rosh Kol means he, he leads a rabbinical college now in you know in in Eretz Yisrael. Chavavai Yosef had a love for Torah, but he also had a love for the Jewish nation. Because when you have a love for God, you do everything that you need to do because that is what you do, and you're in a loving relationship. No matter what happens, no matter what is going on, you are going to do the right thing. The you know the the idea behind it is that. When somebody is obsessed with love, and you know it's something very interesting. This world that we live in today is obsessed with love. It's something very interesting. I would assume movies are today the same way that it has been. Um, you know that any movie that you watch, you shouldn't be watching any movie that somebody watches though, is is what it always has some sort. Again, I, I'm assuming that it has some sort of still so it has some sort of love relationship in it. It could be a Holocaust war movie, you know. Showing the decimation of six million Jews, but there's some couple in there that there's a love story going on over here. Is there, you know, it doesn't. It could be a horror movie. There could be a clown killing babies. It doesn't matter. There's in some part of the movie there's a love movie. It could be an action movie. It doesn't matter. And the question is why? Why are we upset? Why is there always love to it? Why is there anything? And if you think about it, it's not just the movies. It's when you're reading the um, these magazines that people uh, people magazine. There's other magazines that have on entertainment. I, I don't know. Don't help me out. Um, the, there's other magazines that what they're obsessed with the celebrity's life. But you know what's very interesting? Do they ever ask? Be like, well, this celebrity just invested, you know, with this person, and they just lost 10% of their investment. It doesn't say anything like that. Be like, this celebrity got divorced. This celebrity is getting married. Do you know who we married to before? Do you know who he was before? All of, all centered around the love life of a celebrity. Now, I, I, right? I'm right, right? Okay, fine. So, um, the question is, why are we so obsessed with love? Why are we so obsessed with love? And to answer that, we have to understand what is instinct. Instinct, and we spoke about this before, an animal has an instinct because it needs those instincts to survive. A deer sees a cheetah, it's going to book. Right? It's not going to be like, do you want to play bingo? Is you hungry? You know, he's not going to ask any questions. He's running. He sees a cheetah, he's running. It's an instinct. You see your predator, adios, you know, if you're in Mexico, right? You know, oh, whatever. And you, and you, and you run, and you, and you, and that's it, you're out. Instincts are meant for survival. Wait for you guys. Let's gather yourselves. Sorry. Okay. We're good? Okay. Alright. Okay. So now, when you have an instinct, an instinct is what? An instinct... We're not, we're not ready. We're not there yet. All right. All right. We do a take two? You'd be like... To rewind it, you know. Well... Really right. Class is open, by the way. Whoever wants to come, we're on here on BJX on 1601 East... Well, Quentin Road, I'm sorry. On Thursdays. Um, for a woman. Okay, so now, the... I got everyone serious. and be like, oh, she's speaking about the classes. You know? <laughs> okay, so now, the... When you... What is... An instinct is for survival. It's, and it's needed for survival. Yet, when you're dealing in the animal world, makes perfect sense. Instinct, run, survive. Great, awesome. Chazak What about the human survival? It makes no sense. Some things in human survival, why do we have an instinct for for pursuit of happiness? Because anybody explain to me why we strive for happiness? Why is it that we constantly want happiness? Is it needed for our survival? You could survive without happiness. 
I wouldn't recommend it, but you can't survive without happiness. You would want, but we have a, there's a pursuit for happiness. We do everything that we do for happiness. Why do we have that? The answer is because God gave every single being an instinct because that is their purpose in their life. We have an instinct for happiness because there's a purpose for us. We need to be happy. We need, and that is our purpose. But how do we achieve that happiness? We think, you know what, if I'll make a million dollars, then I'll be happy. If I'll buy this, Hermes bag, then I'll be happy. If I'll get somebody else to buy me this Hermes bag, then I'll be happy. If I will marry somebody who can buy me a Hermes bag, then I will be happy. If I can marry somebody who wants to buy me this Hermes bag without me asking him, then I'll be happy. Right? <laughs> yeah. All I know is that, you know how I know about Hermes? Because I was, I was going, one time I was with my wife, and my wife was pointed out to me a certain store, and, uh, you know, she mentioned one of the things about the store. I don't know, it's like, it's like, you can't just go shopping there for certain items. You have to get invited and be like, no, we will invite you to buy a $25,000 bag. You cannot just buy a $25,000 bag if you would so like to. Since you have to be invited to it. I'm like, this is a society that is very, very messed up. Um, uh, interesting business model also. Interesting business model. I'm not going to say that it's wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so the... When, when we look at the instinct, so we look at happiness and exit, what is the instinct that human beings have for love? We do. We have an instinct for love. No matter what it is, we're constantly like, you know, you, it's, it's a love. You ever see a woman look at a little baby? You know, you think like, oh, it's okay. No, it's a love instinct. It's a, it's a, ah, oh, you know, it's like, it's like, I just want to, you know, you know, like, I just want to, it's a love instinct that you, you have it. You know, it's, it, when you're, when, when a, when a woman sees a happy married, and the reason why I'm saying woman is because we're dealing with women over here, but if I was saying men, it's the same, it's the same thing. We're obsessed with love. Why are we obsessed with love? Because there is a purpose for it. But we think, you know what? If I find the right man, then I'll be in love forever. You know, like at this, I'll be, no, no, no. I mean, granted that you need that. You do need that. You need to find the right person. You need to be in love. It needs to be all amazing, happily ever after. It should be like that. But the ultimate purpose is not that. The ultimate purpose is when you see the love that you have between you and your husband or you and your wife, then you can be able to direct that to God and be like, you know what? I can understand the relationship that I need to have. The, the love, the relationship, the instinct that we have is that we need to direct that, uh, you know, we need to direct that to God. You think about it, when somebody is infatuated with something, uh, I, the easiest example I could give is, is let's say, and I give this with the, with the men's class, is with cell phones. There's some people, and I know these people, they're obsessed with cell phones. They're like, you don't understand, like, you know, what is it? Is that the iPhone, you know, CGIF, uh, you know, and, and like, you know, you know, it's like, you know, this is the iPhone TGIF, you know, uh, um, you know, like, it's, what, you know, it's, it's like you ask all, you know, like, they're, and imagine this person, this person, and, you know, you ask him a phone and be like, yeah, the specs are, this has a CPU, or the RAM, blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 and all other stuff, uh, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, all the specs rambling off it because they're obsessed. Now imagine this, Obsession derived person on, on phone and use your, you know, I don't know, jewelry, makeup, I, I don't know, whatever, you know? Um, let's go into the waters that are dangerous, right? The shark waters. So, um, imagine this guy's walking down the street, he sees an iPhone, I don't know, X squared or XI, whatever they're gonna do, right? The next iPhone, before he even comes out, and he's gonna be like, you know, like, complete stranger walking past by him, and he's gonna be like, like, and he, you know, Excuse me, uh, can I talk to you for a second? Um, is uh, is that the iPhone? Uh, blah, 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 you know? Hey, he's like, is that the, the the new iPhone that didn't come out yet? And the guy's gonna be like, uh, he's like, yeah. He's like, um, are you God? How do you how do you have been possession of it? It's not supposed to come out. So like, 
whenever iPhone comes out, I don't know, whatever, February, May, June, July, August, whatever, I don't know, um, October, you know, 15, is that, you know, how do you have it, it's like six months before the, I didn't even think they put it in production yet, I'll be like, no, I'm a high executive, and so I have all the advanced things, can I, can I, can I touch it? And be like, I just want to, I just want to, you know. And this guy is so obsessed with me. I'd be like, oh, Gorilla Glass, backward and forward. You know, two cameras, you know, one sensor, you know, one battery. You know, like, oh, you know, it's like rambling all these things. Because you realize, you know, like, the new iPhone comes out. Be like, this camera is better than before. Not one time zoom, but two time zoom from two different angles. Thousand dollars. You know, and be like, yes, please, you know. Child, children's tuition can wait. Uh, you know, it, it, we it, we were so. Imagine this guy is so obsessed with it. He sees that he knows everything about that new iPhone. He knows everything. Imagine if we're obsessed like that on the Torah. Imagine you're walking down the street, and well, let's use this as a as a man's walking down the street. He sees a Cephal. Someone's reading. Be like, is that the new Cephal from like? And be like, I thought it wasn't even. He's like, can I can I just smell the pages? You know, like you know, like I just want to like you know, you look through it. Imagine that's the level of love that you have with the Torah. Imagine, you know, you have, I go into a Sfarim store, it's a, it's a candy store for me. I love it. I'm like there, I'm like, this is you, you know, and this is you, it's you know, like, I'm like over here. I go with like a stack of books, you know, to, you know, to, you know, to the register. You, you go and you enjoy it because you love it. You're obsessed with it. You enjoy it. That's what you're supposed to have the Torah. It only happens through love. It only happens, the connection that you have this is only, is, is only through love. And you know, when, um, when people get older, you know, a lot of people, especially as more appropriate to the men, they say, you know, I'll learn when I'll retire. I'll learn when I'll whatever, and, you know, when, when I'll have time. When, if a per- when a person's young, that's when a person's able to build their hobbies. When you get older, you don't create new hobbies. You sort of have your hobbies that you have, and you sort of build on that. If you're not going to enjoy learning to when you're young, forget about it when you're older. You're going to be watching Jeopardy, you know, and be like, oh, I saw this episode 70 years ago, you know. <laughs> And be like, the answer is a hippopotamus. It's the strongest jaw. And then, you know, like, I'll be like, you have reached success in your life. You know, congratulations. You know the answer to Jeopardy. You know, you have to go and you, the only way to achieve it is you have to achieve it now. You have to achieve it when you're young. You have to achieve the enjoyment for it. I just realized what time it is. There's no way I'm going to be finishing anytime soon. So, <laughs> like, because um, if anybody needs to leave, as I say this pretty often, please feel free to... Um, do your thing. Uh, you know, uh, the, there was once an Amorah, because uh, I, I have to go, it's part of it, there's an amazing story that I have to tell you, and it's all part of it. So, um, the Amorah, there's a Gemara in Bachot, page 18b, that a woman came to a dream into, into uh, Rav Ziri, and she goes, and she passed away, this woman, she says, can you tell my mother to please send, uh, send me the, um, an eye color brush and a comb to me? And the question is, like, what's this Gemara talking about? This woman is, is dead. Right? D-E-A-D, dead. Finished. What does she need? Eye color. What is that thing called? I said, I don't know. Whatever. I thought mascara. I thought, that's what I told her. You know, I went to the men class. I'm like, you know, the Gemara. It was like, it's sort of, you know, like eye color. I thought it was mascara or whatever it is. So eyeshadow, right? So you're, you're whatever. You're painting your eyes, right? So, um, this, why does she need it? She's not alive anymore. She needs a comb. She needs a comb her hair. What? She doesn't need it anymore. And the answer is that when somebody is obsessed with something in this world, that's how you're going to be in the next world. You're not, you cannot change who you are. What you're obsessed with over here, you're going to be obsessed with over there. This is what we spoke about when we dealt with the, the, um, the, the bukim, the exorcism. People are obsessed with such things because that's what they, who they were in, in the, you know, in this world. I have to share with you this amazing story to understand this, uh, you know, so much clearer. There was once a princess who, um, 
who, you know, she was at a marriageable age, and the father, the way that they used to marry is that they would find another prince from another kingdom, and they would marry them together, and they would, you know, expand their kingdom, and, you know, this way they would be able to make sure, you know, the rich marry the rich, make sure that the, the, the money stays and the, and the kingdom grows. So, she had this juke, she had a little bug in her head, she's like, no, I, I, I want to marry for love. You know, can we understand that? I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. Should be should matter. Um, and she's like, no, I want. It's based of love, and it's based of connection. It's based of building a you know home together. So every eligible prince bachelor that she got, she was like, ah, not for me. No, too uptight to this. You know, whatever it is, was it wasn't working out for him. So the father, the king, was a very smart man. He says, fine, all right, not for you yet. We'll wait, no problem. And uh, she she goes and uh, she she's a she was a person that she loved to take walks. She uh, would take a walk in this this hill. This there was this, like there was like this river at the bottom of the of the steep hill, and she would like to walk on top of it, oversee the hill. Very peaceful, very beautiful. And she would always take these walks with her entourage, with her bodyguards. One day she was walking, and she's looking over there, and she was she saw this beautiful whatever you know uh, bird, and she wanted to get a closer look at it, and she didn't realize it was like a, a tree stump that was that was sticking out. That she tripped over the tree stump, and she started rolling down the hill. And now the guards were all up on the top of the hill. Now. If you ever tried catching anybody rolling down the hill, they're much faster than you running down the hill. Somehow, you know, head over heels, they, they're going a lot faster. So the guards are running down, but they can't. She's like rolling, rolling. A guy sees that from the bottom of the hill. He sees that. He starts booking. He starts running. He dies. He catches the princess. You know, and then he turns around and his head hits the stone. You know, his back hits another tree. You know, he's like just to protect the princess. And, you know, she's all, you know, like, you know, basically, you know, he caught her. Stop the fall. And, you know, she wakes up in a daze. You know, she, like, she gets up over there. She's like, and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, you know, I think so. Meanwhile, the guards, you know, finally catch up to them. And they're like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And she's like, yeah. And they grab her. And they're like, okay, come on. We got to go back to the doctor. We got to make sure everything's okay. Whatever, comparable to x-rays back then. And uh, they grabbed her and they took her back. Meanwhile, the guy that uh, that saved her, you know, thinks like a, a man. And he, first of all, he instantly fell in love with her. He's like, he's like, oh, he's like, because, you know, come on. You know, like, I, I saved your life, you know. <laughs> I literally, you would have fell in, fallen, <laughs> fallen, fell in, you know, at least five to seven feet into cold water. You know, I for sure saved, you know, I, in his mind, he saved the prince's life. He's like, what does he expect? Her hand in marriage. Yeah. This is going to be like, she's going to, so he's already, he, you know, man, man's imagination. Where it's like, you know, he already has names for his servants and where he's going to, the palace and how he's going to overlooking, you know, like he's already, he's like, that's it. I'm getting married. To, and he's all in his mind. He's like, wait a minute. She's like, she doesn't know who I am. She's never, so it's like, I have to, you know, we have to, you know, get, you know, so he's like, I'm a smart man. He just starts thinking and he says, you know what? He says the next day, she know, he knows that she likes taking, uh, um, you know, everyone knows that she likes taking walks in, in that area. The next day where she fell, he's, she's, he's going to put a rose over there, a little red rose, right? Where, where she fell. So he goes, he, you know, he makes sure he wakes up early, he puts a red rose on the tree, you know, the tree thing over there and he walks in the distance and he sees, you know, another, you know, young woman, you know, trying to get that. He runs over, he's like, not for you, not for you. Step away from the rose. He, he runs. He runs away, and he, you know he's he's eyeing that rose, he's like making sure you know the uh, rose gets intended. Hours go by, and suddenly he's over there in the distance. Um, he's looking at you know look at at the rose, and all of a sudden um, you know the princess walks by. Doesn't notice the rose, just keeps on walking, and he's like he's like oh, okay. Uh, the next day he comes out, puts on, puts a rose again. Again, he's walking. He's like watching this, like a you know mother bird watching the eggs. You know, it's like no one's touching this rose. And uh, she doesn't notice it again. Um, and finally, the third day, she notices the rose, and she notices that's where she tripped. So she picks it up, and like you know, she smells it and whatever, chucks it, and she keeps on walking. And he's like, okay, okay. Um, and uh, the next day, 
he puts the rose again. And she sees a rose again over there, and she's like, well, this is odd. And this goes on for like a week. And she's like, why is there a rose where I fell? So, you know, she goes, and she sees a rose, and she starts, you know, looking around, like, where? And she sees a guy in the distance. He's like, you know, like, you know, he's like, you know, he's like, you know, savior. You know, you know, like, you know, like whatever. I don't know. Um, so he goes... And she's like, she's like, oh, you know, she finally, she finally understands what she's saying. She's like, you know, she waves nicely. You know, his heart is like beating seven thousand. Like I knew she loves me, you know. Yeah. Like, and so she's like, and and she continues the walk. And this goes on for another few weeks. Every day, another rose. And every time she looks at him, she like does a wave, and he does his like, you know, little geeky wave over there. And uh, finally, after a few weeks, she, um, you know, she she calls him over, and she sees her do it like this. He he's like a sprint runner. He's like running. Like, you know, like a deer running away from a cheetah. He's like, Phew. he's like, he's there. And he's like, in his mind, he's like, whatever she says, I don't care. I am doing whatever she says. He runs, she runs up over to him. He's like, he's like wheezing from his, you know, and, and all of a sudden she's like, um, you know, it's a very nice gesture what you're doing um, about all these roses. And he's like, yeah, yeah. And she's like, um, I hate roses. And he's like, and he and then she's like and then she just like walks away and he and his first of all his heart is beating seven thousand miles beats per minute because of his jog, his breathing seven thousand beats whatever breaths per minute because of his jog. Now his mind is racing seven thousand miles per hour because of what she said. And he's like, what? She doesn't like roses. And he's getting lightheaded. He's like, and he's like, he's like, you know what? And then he starts thinking. He's like, maybe she, you know, I have to do another flower. You know, it's like I, I'm doing something all wrong. So. He decides he's going to do some recon. He's going to do some, you know, he's like, all right, what, what, you know, what flower does a princess like? So he goes and he starts um, investigating. He goes over to the people in the town and be like, um, yo, psst, um, you know what flowers the princess like? The guy's like, what do you, I'm an apple salesman. What do you, I don't, what, what, what I, I don't know. And he's like, no, cool, 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 cool. He goes over to the next salesman. He's like, hey, yeah, weird question. Um, you uh, you know what the flowers a princess like? I'm like why why would why would I know that? Like no I don't know that. And he's like not getting anywhere. Finally he goes to the guards. He'd be like, hey I have a, a question. Um, you know I know you think it's gonna be weird, but um, what flowers does the princess like? The guard says, who are you? Like get out of here! Like how did you get onto the grounds even? Like just get out. He's like he saw that he was not getting anywhere. So he decided that he's going to have to figure out what flower she likes. So what he decided to do is uh, he created this Excel spreadsheet on wood. Obviously, because Excel didn't create it. it just yet. So he carved out boxes onto wood. And he started putting each day another flower. And he would mark, he would rate her expression, the way that she sees a flower, from 1 to 10 on how she liked it. And he went through roses, sunflowers, other stuff, uh, daffodillies, daisies, lilies, all great flowers. Went through whatever he had in his possession he was able to do. And thank you. And he never, it was like, you know, threes, fours, fives at best. He's like, ah, this is not, this is not going to do it. Finally, he found, you know, he decided it was Orchid's turn. And he put an orchid over there. And then he's like, I was like oh, you know, got a 6.5 going on over here. You know, this was the best you know, the, the best experience that she had was with this flower. And she's like, okay, so, you know, we got it. So we're going to go over He, by the way, he finished all his flowers. And the entire, the best one that came up was the orchid. So he's like, all right, I got to look for orchids now. And he started looking for orchids. And, you know, every so often she would do a little wave to him. And he would, you know, wave back, you know, be like, you know. And, and they would continue this, this uh, you know, charade. And, uh, you know, eventually, you know, he put, started getting different type of orchids, trying to figure out what is the best orchid. One day he's in, he's in town. 
he sees a traveling salesman. And he sees a certain orchid over there, beautiful orchid. It was green petals with red dots on it, very, very rare. He says, uh, what, what orchid is this? He says, oh, this, this is the gold of Kinablu orchid. So he's like, very, very rare, you know, it's like very, very, he's like, he's like, I, I want to buy it. He's like, okay, it's very expensive, it's a very rare orchid. And he says, yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, and uh, he gives him the price, he says, and, and he buys the orchid. He buys the orchid, he puts it down over there. By the way, it's a real orchid, it's really, really expensive. Um, and it is really, really rare. And he goes and he puts it down in the, by the tree stump over there. The next day he's watching her, she picks up the orchid, and he's like, bing, 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 bing. this is the jackpot, it's like a 10, it's like, you know, hearts in her eyes, you know, birds are chirping around her, you know, and he was like, he's like, this is it. This is the orchid that, that I need to get. He, before he even goes and says anything to her, he books back, back to, the, to the traveling, you know, flower salesman. He says, give me all these orchids that you have. He says, to be honest, I only have one left. He says, uh, you know, he says, he says, only one. He says, where can I buy it? He says, this is a very rare orchid. You can't, but you have to travel very far in order to buy this type of thing. He says, okay, fine. I'll plant them. I'm going to start, you know, producing these. I got it. This is this is my this is my golden ticket. And the guy says, you know how difficult it is to grow this type of this type of orchid. It's so difficult. You need the right thing. He says, I don't care how difficult it is. I need to know I'm going to do it. He's like impossible. The guy says, regardless, I'm going to buy it. And then he started grilling him like a thousand questions. What do I do in the sun? And then what do I do? What type of water? When do I plant it? Everything. There's a travel salesman. This was his business, so he knew a lot about the, the flower. And he started giving him every detail that he possibly knew about it. He took the orchid, he brought it home, he started, you know, asking any other flower salesman, any, any of the other botanists, am I pronouncing that right? And he went and he started asking all these, all, all these flower specialists, what could I do for this? And they started getting, this one gave him this potion, this one gave him this thing, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. He collected everything and he, stri- he tried to, to, uh, to, to reproduce this. Failed every single time miserably. Until finally, he was able, and this is like weeks of it, he was like becoming a mad scientist with like flowers everywhere, pictures of flowers everywhere. He's like, you know, becoming crazy with the flower obsession. And finally, he finds this like very rare, crazy potion that when he put it inside, that's the only way that it's going to grow in a certain way, in a certain sunlight, with a certain amount of water. He found the exact way that it would be able to grow. And he starts growing these things. And finally, after, you know, a few, uh, you know, a few weeks, whatever, it was growing very fast, he was able to go and he started bringing them back to the, um, to the tree bench over there, and uh, and he goes and he starts putting it down over there, and she sees it every time her face lights up. She grabs the orchid, and she's you know she's so happy. And after a few weeks of constantly getting the same orchid, she calls him over, and this is the second time she calls him over. So he's running like a fat kid is running to cake, right? He's she's bucking it, and he's going over there. You know, and he missed a dinner, and you know, so he's he's running towards over there, and he's like, I better get in shape for these runs. Uh, and he gets over there, out of breath, this. And she's like, you've got to tell me where you get these uh, orchids, because I've asked all the specialists in the, you know, in, you know, in the kingdom, and they say it's nowhere you can get, you can't purchase these things nearby over here. Where do you get this from? And he says, well, to be honest, I uh, produce them, I, I make them. He says, you know, how? What, what does they do? So he tells her, he says, you know, not to sound, you know, stalkerish, but um, <laughs> I sort of been keeping tabs on your facial expression, how you like flowers, and I found that this flower. You had the greatest, you had the greatest enjoyment from it. And all I want to do is give you happiness and give you the, you know, when you smile, it lights up my whole day. And he says, that's all I wanted to do. So I worked day in and day out for weeks on end to try to make it that I will be able to produce this orchid for you. And she was like, that's the most beautiful thing everybody has ever said to me. Um, and she goes and she, and, and she says, uh, you know, you know, that, that's great. And they start, you know, talking and, you know, and eventually, you know how like, uh, if, you know, the next day when he put in the orchid, he came a little bit closer, five yards closer, you know, and the next day a little bit closer, you know, when you want to, let's say, 
pet a raccoon for some odd reason. Um, so you'll first feed the raccoon, but from the distance. Then the next time you're going to come you know, a little bit closer. And then be like, hey, I'm your friend. Uh, you know, and a little bit closer, a little closer until you can touch the rabies diseased, uh, you know, uh, animal. Um, and, you know, so the same thing, he was slowly inching his way, you know, closer. Eventually, it came to the point that they were like, hey, how's your day? How's everything? You know, they little small chit chats every once in a while. I had longer chit chats. And this progressed until, you know, the talks became a little bit longer. And they started having, you know, feelings for each other. And, you know, she was thinking, she was like, you know what? She's like, this guy is, you know, out of all the men that I've dated, this guy n- never did something. She says, you know, let me see how much he really cares about me. So she goes over to him one day. She says, uh, you know what else I like? And he's like, you like other stuff besides? Or he's like, what? What do you like? And she's like, I love seashells. I love seashells. But the problem was that in their particular kingdom, the, the ocean that was nearby, the, in order to get the seashells, you had to go really, really deep under the water. There was no, the, the shores were very steep, and in order to get it, you had to swim really, really deep. Nobody was able to do it because it was too deep. They couldn't do it as much as they tried, they couldn't do it. She says, that's what I really like, but I can't get it. And he's like, mission, uh, challenge accepted. Thank you. He's like, challenge accepted. And he goes over there. The next day, he, jump, he jumps right into, the, right into the water, sees how the death, and he's like, you know, really, there's no way that he can do it. And he's trying to, you know, exercise and work in it, and he's trying to think, you know, he goes back to his think station, he moves all the flower stuff away, and he starts, you know, thinking of diagrams, thinking of what he can do to be able to get, maybe get a long pole, maybe this. And then he thought about it, maybe if I put ear in a bag, and I swim down, and then halfway through, I'll take in a breath from the bag. And then I'll be able to go even deeper. And he starts testing out all these bags of ear. And he starts, you know, you know, experimenting with all these things. And as he's experimenting, he's, you know, he's, 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 he's exercising, breathing, you know, underwater. And he's able to hold his breath for longer. After a few weeks, he gets to the point where he, you know, he finds a perfect bag that he's able to hold some ear. He puts a little straw. Anyway, he, he, he finds all the, the things that he needs to find and, to, and then he's able to actually touch the, the bottom of the, of the ocean floor. But the problem is, is that he's so far away from the, you know, from the surface that he has literally a split second, grab whatever he sees and he has to shoot right back up again. Otherwise, he's not going to make it because a few times he almost passed out. And every single time, so that's what he started doing. He started, you know, collecting the air, putting it in the bag, swinging it under, grabbing whatever dirt that he can and running up. Most of the time he came up with just dirt. Every also often he came up with a shell or two. And, you know, by the end of the first day, he found four seashells. The next day, he's by the tree chump over there. He puts this, you know, he's the, the orchid that he produced, and he puts nearby four seashells. And she, you know, and she, she goes by, she picks up the orchid as usual, and she sees the four seashells, and she's like, she's like, wow, you know, how did you do that? <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, I can, I can do that, I can do this stuff, you know, whatever. So I got this. And she's like, you know, she was like really impressed. And then, you know, she's like started talking to him more. And the next day, so how impressed was, he made sure that it became eight seashells. And he started collecting, you know, seashells, seashells, seashells nonstop. And every day they would come back, there would be seashells, and there would be, uh, you know, the, the beautiful orchid over there. Until finally he goes up there, they get close enough, and he says, listen, he says, um, you know, I know I'm stepping out of line over here, you're a princess, I'm a simple commoner. He says, but, you know, if I were to ever be able to be your, your you know, your husband, I would make you the most happiest woman in the entire world, I'll do anything for you. He says, How would you ever consider such a thing? He says, listen, he says, you know, we come from two different backgrounds, I don't know, I, you know, he's like, I understand, I totally understand it. But then she, it started to get her thinking, and he'd be like, you know, like, out of all the men that she dated, there was like nobody who even came close to, and this is all that she wanted. She wanted the love. She didn't care about the money. She didn't care about the honor. She wanted the love. She wanted the happiness. That's what she wanted. So she decides she's going to ask her father. 
she goes over to the um, to the father, and she says, uh, you know, there's a guy. That, you know, and the father says, yeah, I know. What do you think? You know, I've been keeping tabs on you. As I know about this guy. <laughs> so um, she goes and she says, you know, he's a really nice guy. And she's like, what would be your thoughts of meeting him for a possible marriage candidate? The king was a very smart man, and she saw by the time that he found out about it, she was really, you know, emotionally vested into this. And he says, um, he says, I am obviously not for it. I don't think this is the right man for you. She says, but you don't understand. He's going to make me happy. You don't understand. I've never met anybody like this. Don't you want my happiness? Don't you want you to just be happy? And he's like, of course I do, uh, you know. And she says, so then the king asks her, like this, says, are you willing to give everything up for this man? I'm talking about honor. Everything, living of a simple man for this man. And she thinks for a few minutes, and then she says, you know what? I am. I am willing to give everything up. Father says, if that's the case, then you have my blessing. He says, I still don't think that it's the right choice, but I'll stand by you. And she's like so excited. She runs back the next day, and she calls him over, and she's like, she's like you know, I spoke to my father about it, and he, and he said, yeah. And he, in his mind, he's like, it's going to be Geppetto as my one servant. And my, he's already thinking about who's servant. He's already life as a palace. He didn't think about working. And for the past few months, he's been doing flowers and seashells. Right? He doesn't do anything. He's like, I'm, I, you know, this is, the, this is the big business deal that I'm working for. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the prince. I'm going to be the next king. In his mind, he's already, you know, making wars with people he doesn't like. You know, chipped him off when he was younger. Um, and he goes over, and you know, he's in his mind, and, and she's talking, and he's, you know, the way men are, and. Um, Suddenly she says, you know what made me decide and realize that I wanted this? And he's like, what? Well, what made you realize that? He says, you know, my, um, my father asked me, would I give everything up for this? And, you know, the royalty, the money, the honor, everything. And I thought about it, and I said, yeah, I'm willing to give up everything for you. And he's like, he's like, uh, uh, run that by me one more time. And he said, what? Give, give what? What do you mean give it? What do you, <sighs> what happened to Geppetto? You know, like, uh, what do you mean give everything up? And she's like, well, you know, like, you know, no servants, no nothing. It's like everything. And she sees his facial expression went from like, you know, this to like, you know, Tisha B'Av. And he's like, um, she's like, is everything okay? He's like, he's like, you know, I think he's quick on his feet. He's like, no, not, I mean, like, you know, for you, you're kind of used to this to, to just leave everything for that. And she's like, no, all that stuff doesn't mean anything to me. I just want to be happy, and I think you're going to make me happy, and that's all I need of it. And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, totally, right, right on, yeah, for sure. And um, and you know, he meets the father, whatever, everything is going good, and they start making wedding plans. And you know, he still, you know, obviously, even though he really wanted the money, he was still, you know, very much emotionally in love with, you know, with her. And he goes and he, he takes over the entire wedding preparation. He says, he says his entire wedding. He says, I'm breeding, you know, like seven thousand, you know, cannabis orbit orchids for this. He's like, it's going to be covered with orchids and seashells everywhere. He's like doubling his, you know, his quota for his uh, seashells, you know, collection. And he, the, you know, he arranges the entire wedding, you know. Puts it everything the way, just the way that she likes. Everything that she ever told him, that any dream that she had was in, you know, depictions of in seashells and these and these flowers. She, he really made the wedding perfect because he really he really wanted to make her happy. And the wedding goes by amazing. Wedding goes, you know, unbelievable. And he sees the father, the king, always like, you know, he's like, you know, he's like one of, the, you know, always eyes on him. And uh, he sees him, so the guy goes over to the king and he says, "Listen, you should know that I'm not doing this for the money, for the honor. I really do love your daughter. I really do want to make her happy." And the king's like, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll see, we'll, we'll see. And, and he's like, and, and he's like, cool, okay, thanks, man. thanks, dad, yeah, love you, dad, yeah. And, um, 
they go on, and after the, the wedding, a few days after the wedding, the father calls over the son-in-law and says, listen, he says, in my kingdom, in my household, there's no free rides. And he's like, yeah, totally, I'm a hard worker, whatever, man, so. Yeah, and he goes and he says, um, he says, I will, you know, I'll buy you a house, you'll have a house. Uh, he says, but you'll have to, you know, work on your own. He says, uh, and the guy says, yeah, I totally understand that, for sure, I agree, that's great, thank you very much. And they part their ways. A few weeks go by, they buy, the, the father, the king, buys him a house. He gives him, you know, gives him a nice house, and he goes there, and now he has to go and work on his own. So he goes, and he starts uh, working, and it's very difficult for him to make ends meet. He's always thinking, he's like, listen, my wife is used to, you know, caviar. She's used to all these crazy expensive stuff. I, you know, I need to give her what she's used to. And he's working, and he's stressing himself out, and it's, it's becoming very difficult. Some days he's not even able to, able to put, uh, you know, food on the table. It just so happens, when he doesn't have any money, he just so happens to find a bag of gold coins, you know, near his apartment, near his, uh, near his house. And he's like, what a coincidence. You know, and he goes and he, and he, uh, you know, puts it in. Meanwhile, you know, obviously the king is paying very close attention. Every time that he sees he's not making enough money, he makes sure that, you know, his daughter has enough. But, uh, without him obviously noticing it. And, um, as the time goes by, the financial stress continues. And what happens when you have financial stress? Unfortunately, it also brings to marital strife. And, you know, they start little petty things. He starts getting, you know, upset with him. He's like, I don't understand. He says, I have to do everything myself over here. I have to work for you. He says, you know, how much I need to provide for you. He says, why don't you work? And she's like, she's like, oh, hold up a second. He says, you're working for me? He says, I need plain and simple. I don't need anything. He says, don't think that you're working for me. You're working for yourself. He says, I never wanted this. He's like, oh, but still, you're a princess and this and that and that. And they, and they start bickering and fighting. And one fight leads to another fight, another fight leads to another fight. And in the end, he's like, you're breathing too loud. Oh, no, whatever. Um, and then they're, obviously, Shalom Bayit is not happening. The king hears about it because obviously he's keeping close tabs. And he's about to pull the plug. And he, the king decides, you know what? He says, it's almost a one-year anniversary. Let me wait. Let me wait and see what's going to happen. Let me give it till after the one-year anniversary. Otherwise, I'm pulling her back in. So um, he waits. And meanwhile, it was the day before anniversary. They get into another huge fight. The guy is so, you know, in his mind, so heated up. He says, you know what? I'm going out for a walk. He goes out for a walk. He starts roaming the streets. He ends up in front of the palace. He ends up in front of the palace. He sees all the royalty, all, you know, his, his basically his extended family, like walking in there with the, the, you know, the expensive clothes, expensive jewelry. Everything is, you know, treated with honor and respect. And he's like, this could have all been mine. This could have all been mine. And as he's looking with envy, he starts thinking, and then he's like, he's like, wait a minute. He's like, this was all my wife. My wife had all this, and she left it all because I promised her happiness. I promised that I'll be able to deliver. And he says, look at this. He says, not only has she lost that, she also lost that from me. And for the first time in her life, he breaks down crying. He's like, he's like, I can't understand where I went. He says, I did this for her, and look where I ended up with. Well, I was thinking about myself, and not only that, I took away what she had, and I didn't give her anything else. And in fact, I made it more difficult for her. And he says, from now on, new leaf. This is going to be a new me. And he decides a whole plan. He's going to make it up to her like no one's business. The next day, he wakes up early. He goes over to her, and he says, you know, my darling, I know it's our anniversary. He says, I've, you know... So I'm changed. He says, I want you, I, I, I've arranged for you to have one full day at the spa, pampering you like you're used to. Go and take the day, you know, and, and she's like, whatever it is to get away from you, I'm fine, you know, like no fighting. <laughs> Send me wherever you need to go. And she goes, and she goes. Meanwhile, that was just, you know, get her out of the house. Meanwhile, he gets right to work. He goes, runs right to the ocean, and he starts, because he stopped giving her the orchids, and he gets to fight, and be like, oh, you know, I hate you, you know, uh, an orchid. Um, he stopped giving, you know, stopped giving her all those, all those presents, uh, you know, shortly after they got married. He goes and he starts diving, collects seashells and seashells and seashells. Then he runs to his, you know, his, his, you know, 
farmhouse, whatever, where he was growing all these things. And he realized because he hasn't been, you know, they, there were was, there was thousands of them everywhere. They just, because he was growing them so often, they started growing by themselves in the same conditions that they were. And he cuts every single last one of them. He collects hundreds of seashells. He had energy that he felt that he never had before. He was on the bottom of the seabed like a fish, you know, like, you know, he was like collecting all these things, putting them in his mouth, and he was going up and putting them, and he was collecting tens at a time. Finally, he felt that he had enough. He gathered all his stuff and he ran back to his house. And he started de- decorating the entire house exactly like he decorated the wedding. And he was decorating everything. For hours and hours, He worked. he's working nonstop decorating the entire house. And finally, he's finished. It's getting late. And he runs to the palace. He runs to the palace. He goes and knocks on the, on the, on the door. And he says, the, the, you know, the, the guards open up. He says, I need to speak to the king. He says, like, you and everybody else, go to the back of the line. Uh, he says, no, you don't understand. He says, I am the, you know, I'm the son-in-law of the king. I am the, you know, I'm the one, you know, and he starts saying, he says, and, and the guy's like, yeah, we know who you are. And he says, please, I, I'm begging you, I've never asked, since the day that I got married, I never asked him for the king, I need one favor. Uh, please ask the king, I need it, it's urgent and it's emergent. And they get the message to the king, and the king says, oh, well, here it is, you know. You know, someone needs some dough. And he says, fine, all right, send him in. The guy walks in, he's sweating, he's panting, he says, my dear king, he says, you know, I, I need I need a huge, huge favor from you. And the king says, sure, sure, you know, expecting it. He says, what do you need? He says, I need, you know, he says, and he, and he gives him a little of the backstory, he says, listen, you know, I haven't been the best of husband, I, I you know, I tried to, you know, do, and, I, and I, I really failed. And he says, I really turned in a new leaf, I am, and he explained his whole plan, he says, I'm decorating the entire house, I want it to be just like the wedding night. He says, I was able to do everything else, there's one thing that I cannot do, I cannot cook the meals that she's used to over here. I don't have the talent, I don't have the ability to, only the chefs in the palace are able to cook this type of meal. He says, I'm asking you please, and I'm begging of you, my only request is, make me one meal. One meal, the fa- her favorite meal, a meal that she had on her wedding night, I want to present that to her. The king is like, you know, tears in his eyes. Like, That's a beautiful thing I've ever seen. You know, right? And he's like, yeah, you know, for sure. Give me one hour, you got it. King calls it, everyone, all hands on deck. And they're all making this thing. Meanwhile, this guy's pacing back and forth, you know. He has a court case. And he's going back and forth. And finally, um, the king, you know, packages it really nicely with a nice silver thing. He says, here you go threw in a bunch of very expensive silverware also, you know, you know, he felt so good about it, you know, it's finally someone was treating his daughter right, and uh, he, he, he takes this, he takes this, uh, you know, this package, and he books it, he runs it, he runs into the house, Hashem, she didn't make it yet, and he takes, he puts a plate on in, in, you know, in the center of the house, he makes a table, arranges everything, he starts lighting candles everywhere, and he goes and he changes into his tuxedo, into his, his wedding suit, and he's standing over there, Maybe he showered before, hopefully. And he's standing over there and, and in, in his thing, and she opens the door, refreshed and relaxed. You know, cucumbers are still on her eyes. Um, and she comes out over there, and she says, um, and she says, what's going on over here? And he's standing over there with, like, literally a note, and he says, my darling wife, he says, um, it's, you know, I haven't, I haven't delivered on what I promised you. I've been a terrible husband. I have been a terrible person to you. And he says, not only have you lost what you had, but I haven't given you what I promised. And he says, I am deeply sorry for that. And I am deeply, deeply, terribly moved and apologetic for whatever I did. I want you to know from today on, it's different. This is exactly like we had on our wedding night because I want to get married to you again and I want to do it right this time. And she, and she's like, you know, in tears and, you know, she sees everything exactly like it was on her wedding night. She says, you know, please, you know, here's your dinner. And he goes and he opens up the, you know, the thing and inside is her favorite dish. And she's like, how did you get this? He's like, you know, it's like, this is all my favorite food when I was growing up. And he's like, you know, have connections. <laughs> um, and she goes and she eats, she eats a meal and he's sitting over there, you know, with tears in his eyes watching her 
And then suddenly a thought enters his, his mind and he starts looking around the room mm-hmm. and he, it starts bringing back his emotions that he had when he got married. And he was like, he remembered when he was, when he was so obsessed about making her happy that when he started looking around, he started bringing himself back to his wedding day and how happy he was and how much he wanted and how much he wanted to do for his wife. He would have done anything for her. And he was looking, he says, you know, he thought that he was doing this for her. In essence, he was really doing it for himself. And he was going and he was like, this is, you know, he's like, from today on, he says, I'm a changed man. And it really was. He was a changed man. He treated her the way that she should have been treated. I mean, she was literally like the happiest girl in the entire world. Non-stop orchids and seashells and poems and this. It was beautiful from morning to night. And he decided he's going to go to the seashells and the flower business. And he was actually quite successful. The king was keeping, keeping tabs on him. And he calls him in after a few months after this. And the king says, you know, I've been keeping close tabs on you. He says, um, he says, you know, I wanted to see if you really love my daughter. So I wasn't going to just give you, you know, invite you and give you everything. I wanted to see if you were really treated or were really doing it for the money. And he says, you know, a few times I almost pulled it out. I almost pulled the plug. And I said I would give you a chance and I'm happy I did because I see how happy my daughter is right now. And I see what you're willing to do for her. I know that you are the right one. And he says, of course I have a palace for you. Of course I have servants for you. Of course you're going to run the kingdom. And he says, and he invites them into this huge palace and they live happily ever after. Until obviously she steps out of the line and then, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it wasn't a Middle Eastern story. All right, relax. Um, so in any case, she goes and, and they really live happily ever after. We go to Shavuot. What are we doing at Shavuot? There's no really. There's no mitzvot in it. We're decorating the shuls with 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 the flowers. We're eating dairy. What are we doing? All these things? Because it says on Hal Sinai there were flowers. We see this over there on in Exodus chapter thirty four verse three. There was flowers. There was greenery. So we decorate the shuls. We decorate everything like that. We were there. We were all in Hal Sinai. We're reminding ourselves on the wedding night. The wedding night. We're reminding. We're painting the whole picture back. That's why you go to the flower. You go to the you go to the houses. It's full of flowers. You go to the shuls. They're full of flowers. Only holiday you put flowers in the shul. And not only that, we eat dairy. Why do we eat dairy? Because that's what we ate on Shavuot night. Why do we eat dairy? Because we couldn't eat meat. We had all these laws. You have to slaughter, you have to salt. We weren't able to do it yet. We were only able to eat dairy. That's what we eat dairy now. What we're doing is we're recreating the entire night. Why are we recreating the entire night? Because you and every single Jew was on Hasinai. And we were there and we were like, we will do anything. Now, seven Ishma, we will do whatever it is. Whatever it takes, we're going to do for God. Doesn't matter what it is. I will do and then I will listen. He says, in order to remember that, we've got to recreate the entire experience. He says, you are recreating it. When we're creating that entire experience, there's no law, there's no specific mitzvot. God says, I just want you to be happy. You know, we say, he says, well, we want to be, we want to make you happy. How are we going to make you happy? He says, that we've got to learn. We learn to our all night. What do we learn to our all night? Imagine you come after a wedding night. What are you going to do with your husband? Right? You go and you talk, you're like, how is everything? How is this? You're not, you're, you're connecting like you've never connected before. Imagine a guy goes to his wife after the, after the wedding night. And she's like, you know, it's how's wedding? And he's on his phone. I was like, I just got to do this tweet. Um, you know, awesome, sick wedding. You know, like, and this. And then finally she's like, you know, would you have like a few minutes? Can we talk? And he's like, yeah, for sure. But, uh, you know, like five minutes, I need to take a smoke break. And then every five minutes, there's some people that learn on Shavuot, every five minutes, they go take another break. They got to go see what's on the food table. And they got to go see, get another cup of coffee. And then they got to go see, and they got, what is this? So this is the relationship that you're having? If you love God then you get you don't get up from your seat on Shavuot. You're sitting down, you're learning nonstop because this is the way that you're connecting to the to the love of your life. This is the way that you're connecting. You're nonstop talking. It's a bad relationship if you can't talk to your wife. If you can't sit and talk to your wife for more than five minutes and it's a very bad thing, what's going on over here? You are bored by talking to your wife? How is that possible? You're bored by talking to your husband? We ask 
Like this man asked a thousand questions to the flower dealership, the flower dealer. Why? He wanted to do everything perfect. We're learning to all, we're asking everything, a hundred thousand questions, we're asking all the details. How do we do this mitzvah perfectly? Because we want to do it perfectly because that deserves nothing less other than that. The idea of this, and this is what we say in Shir Asherim, Let him kiss me with the kisses of the mouth, for the, your love is better than wine. There's no obligation. There's no obligation over here. The obligation here is just you, to make each other happy. And that's the obligation of love. And in order to do that, that is what you're doing. That is the Torah. That is what we do on this night. If you're learning, if you're, if, if a man is sitting down learning all night, you want to know how you know how you had a good night of learning? If 4.30 a.m. comes and you've been learning for five, six, seven hours, whatever it is that you're learning, and you're like, what? It's 4.30 already? That's when you know you had a good night. Because if you're spending time with the one that you love and the time flies by, that's, you know, that you have, you found the one that you love. The, you know, we started off, the question was, why do we do what we do? You know, why, why is it that we do what we do? And it was something that I do speak about often. We should know, why do we do what we do? But the truth is, all this thing is useless. All this thing, why we do what we do, it's good, it's good to know these things because it makes you understand things better. But the truth is, you know why we do what we do? Because God said to do it. And it's a true, loving relationship. We don't ask questions. We just do is what we need to do. And this is why. It's something, and we're finishing up with this. The, when the, um, when God goes over to the other, when God goes over to the other nations, He goes over to Ishmael, He says, I have a present for you. What is it? It's a Torah. What does it say in the Torah? Can't steal. Can't do it, sorry. Goes to Esav. What does it say? It said, can't kill. No, sorry. Go to Moab. No adultery. Can't do it. No, 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 sorry. Why are they saying I can't do it? This is part of the Shalom Mitzvah Ben Anach. They have to do these things anyways. It's not God's not telling them anything extra they have to do. They have to do these things anyway. So why are they saying no? Because God's saying, I'm going to give you these mitzvot, but now you have to do it. Not because you think it's logical. Not you think because it makes sense, but because I told you so. That is the highest level of a relationship. To do a mitzvah, not because you know the reason. Not because you understand who it is, but because you love it so much. And I don't care what the reason is. I don't care. You told me to do it, I'm going to do it. That is the highest level. This is why Chama Vajayah said, when people ask him, what are you supposed to learn tonight? On Shavuot night, you're spending all night learning tomorrow. What are you supposed to learn tonight? He says, you learn what you love. You learn what you enjoy. And that is what you're supposed to do. And this night, it's a night that, it's a, it's a holiday we connect. We connect to, to the, to, you know, to our love. We, everybody has, has this loving instinct. We need to love something. You're gonna keep on going and you're gonna try. Maybe it's the husband and it should be. Maybe it's the children and it should be. Maybe it's the parents and it should be. But the ultimate love is gonna be the love between you and God. It's the love that you're gonna have between you and the Creator. And that is the purpose of this, of, of this holiday. There is no special mitzvah, there's no specific mitzvah special to this thing. Because it's all about love. And that is what we're here to do today. Questions? Isn't that a little bit like blind faith in a way? Technically, yes. Yes, technically, where there's reasons, except for this chukim. There's some mitzvah that we understand, there's some mitzvah we don't understand. Paladumah. We don't understand why we need to do that. We, there is a reason, there's a rhyme and reason for every single thing that we do. And for the majority of those things, we can understand those things. But there's always going to be something in Judaism that we don't understand. And you know what? At once, what? what? We don't no, we do understand. I've just told you. No, but I'm saying like it's, you said we're... No, there's the 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 idea is that you're, the idea of doing something is that the ultimate. We were speaking, I think, last week. Like people should go and and teach the 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 children in you know school why we do what we do. And I think it's very important. That's what one of the one of the, the themes that I speak when I speak about holidays is what we do, what we do. We need to know what we do. And I think it's very important because it gives you a stronger connection. But the highest level. The highest level of things is not doing it because you know what it is. It's doing it because you love somebody. If somebody, if, you know, if your spouse makes you a, a, you know, a meal and says you're going to love it, you're going to start questioning it, but what's inside it? What spices did you use? No, if you love that person and the person loves you, 
You're not worried about poison, of course. If there's a good loving relationship, you're going to do it. No matter what it is, I'll do it. Now, seven Ishma means I'm not asking any questions. I'll do it. However, Judaism is the only religion out of all the religions and cults that we tell them ask questions because we have the answers. But that's not the ultimate way to, to, to serve God. Ask away, 100%. Ask all the questions that you have because you'll get clarity that way. If you don't ask, you won't know. But no, the highest level of serving God is knowing without realizing. With knowing because this is what God told me to do. Any other questions? So there's there are there are there are places that they do have it open for women. BJX has it open for 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 women, uh, you know as well. Now women don't have an obligation, but if you send your husbands and your children to learn, you marry, you gain from that, right? Yeah. And there's some women that don't, you know, there's some women that don't learn. Uh, they don't go out to, the, but they, they have, they learn with their, you know, they, they have friends come over to their house and they learn together, like for an hour or two, they don't have to stand out all night, you know, learn for a little bit and they go to sleep. Especially if they have kids, they should be, you know, going to sleep to make sure that someone takes care of them. It is the upload, yeah. Hmm? What if a man can't learn so that's a whole other topic. If a man's not going to be able to learn, if a man is going to learn all night, he's not going to be able to pray. You know, he's going to be able to be too tired. So it's just not in his physical capabilities. So he should learn as much as he can, and he should speak to a rabbi why it's not in his physical capabilities to learn it. It's like a man says, "I can't speak to my wife. I just not in my physical capabilities. I just she's just too boring. I just can't." Phew. You know, like that's not a good. That's something not good. A man has an obligation to learn. Granted. Different than talking to your wife. It's true. It's true. It's not a little. It's a lot different. Yeah. Um, but at that same aspect for it, for it, every man has an obligation to learn, regardless of. It doesn't say, well, if you can't learn because you don't have a good head, then you don't have to learn. You always have to learn. Granted, it's law. You don't have to finish it. You have to try, though. You do need to try. So let's say, well, let's say a man can stay up till chakras, but he could maybe stay up till two thirty. So learn till two thirty. Then wake up at nine o'clock for shachrit. Or 8.30 to make a talk for 9 o'clock, sorry. <laughs> Any other questions? Any other questions on camera? Okay, chazak You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.